Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. I'm Karen and I'm an alcoholic. And it's truly through the grace of God and the power of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've been sober since May 30th, 1982. And that does not make me a miracle, it makes Alcoholics Anonymous a miracle. If you're new here tonight, I want to welcome you to AA. And I always call it God's magnificent AA, the problem that saved my life and it's going to save yours too, if you want to take a few quick actions. And I suggest strongly that you get a sponsor, that you get that book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you get busy. And everybody else is doing around here. And you're going to stay sober, so I've stayed sober for 23 years. And people like me cannot stay sober, I can guarantee you. My home group is the Pacific Group in West L.A., a group I'm very, very proud to be a member of, just as I'm sure you're proud to be a member of yours. And I guess if you're not proud, you ought to get a job, and you might change your mind. I certainly have a job in mind, and I'm proud to have that job. I thank my friend Chris for inviting me to come. This is an honor and a privilege. It's one that I do not take lightly, I'll guarantee you. You guys, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I really do. And I think that it shows, and I make an awful lot of mistakes, and an awful lot of things wrong. But I'll tell you one thing, that I love you. Make no mistake about that. You know, I've been talking an awful lot of things before I ever wrote my big mouth, and one thing is talk to my sponsor, and Clancy sent you his love and very best wishes tonight, and even in this room is wondering why I have a man for a sponsor and why I have Clancy for a sponsor. It's really quite simple. I did not get sober in California. I got sober in a place called Lincoln, Nebraska, and was not doing well in Alcoholics Anonymous, Nebraska. I went through 19 sponsors at a rapid clip, and I'm certainly not proud of it as I stand here tonight, but thank God for the old timers in A, because somebody loved me enough to get my current sponsor. And I can tell you that my life has done nothing but totally complete trials all that. And I absolutely adore the ground that man walks. And I talked to him this morning before I left L.A. And, and I said, what do you want me to talk about tonight? And he said, oh, quit trying to be cute. Get up there and share your experience, your strength, and your hope. And tell those people what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Ignore the old timers. They got it. They don't need your inspiration, my dear. And, and talk directly to those new people, the life and blood of A. And, and I believe that as I stand here and I welcome you and I hope that you stay in. Then I think I did, without a doubt, the most important thing I can ever do. And that's to say, God, please help me say what you want me to say to these people. God is very much a part of my life tonight, you guys. It not used to be that with me, I can guarantee you. I come from an alcoholic hell. I cannot even describe it was so bad. And, you know, my life is real good today, and sometimes I forget how bad it was. And I can tell you the day I got sober, I weighed 95 pounds. I was the color of squash. Had an alcoholic hepatitis. Had a liver cirrhosis. I had rupture esophageal varices. And if you don't know what that stuff is, you don't want to. It's because you die from that kind of stuff. And I was standing on Skid Row in Lincoln, Nebraska, sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And if you guys haven't drank Mad Dog... <laughs> I need to tell you, it's not one of your finer wines, I can assure you. Oh. I'll guarantee you one thing, that crap has never seen a grape, make no mistake about that. And, and I'll, 
I literally could not believe was going on in my life. I'd lost my children. I'd lost my husband twice. Although I really care about that, I want you to know. I'd lost my car. I'd lost my house. I destroyed every relationship I'd ever had with anybody. And I was clearly dying from alcoholism. And then I lost the one thing that brought my knees and disease. I lost my nursing license. And you guys, I love my profession. Absolutely devastated me, but not stopped me from drinking. And there's a reason for that, and it's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because I have an obsession that somehow, someday, I will to control and enjoy my drinking. The persistent addiction is astonishing, just like a book talks about the pursuit that gates of insanity and death. And I'll guarantee you one thing. I was in the gates of pure insanity. I got something almost into my coffin. And I am so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous as I stand here tonight, I cannot begin to tell you. And you're going to soon see why and stuff. But, you know, like I said earlier, my sobriety date is May 30th, 1982. It was not always my sobriety date. I got my current sponsor. I had to change that date. And there's a reason for that. I'm one of these people that had gotten smoke dope when I got sober. And, you know, if you're smoking marijuana in this room tonight, you're not sober now, like Thomas, I will tell you right this minute. And I don't want to argue about that afterwards. Ask any old timer if you don't believe me. And if I have to change my date, then by God, so do you. But, yeah, I am. <laughs> I got my current sponsor, and I tried to explain to him that I'm from a Nebraska. You can have two sobriety dates, one from alcohol and one from drugs. He rather quickly pointed out to me that I was in Southern California. We had one date to get my date changed. And I was just smart aleck when I got my current sponsor. And I said, where does the book mention pot? He said, the book does mention pot. And I said, Clancy, I have read that book. He said, I talk about marijuana in that book. And he said, if I find the word pot in that book, will you change your sobriety and never argue with me again? And I knew I was making a bad deal, you guys, but I did anyway. And I'll be damned if he didn't flip open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on the first page of Bill Wilson's story it says died by musket or by pie I said that is not what that means he said, quite frankly, my dear, I don't deal a dilly squat what it means. You said the book didn't mention pot. It does mention pot. Change your sobriety date. And, uh, and my life has flourished, i got to tell you guys. But I'm delighted to be here tonight. I love to come up here. And this is an enthusiastic meeting about Alcoholics Anonymous, i got to tell you. And if you're new here tonight, I'm so glad you're getting sober in this group. This is a great place to be and stuff. And I'm also delighted that you don't have a glass plum. You can see your speaker. I had this terrible experience on the East Coast. I was out there giving a talk. And my, my talk, my skirt fell off in front of 3,000 people and they had this glass plum you can see the speaker and that makes me nervous anyway and I had this black suit on with this wrap around skirt and, and the button came and I thought my god my skirt's going to fall on the floor and it was too late it was on the floor but you guys you know what <laughs> Alcoholic Thomas has taught me to wear underwear and thank god I had some on <laughs> it's um it's also taught me to take action I just picked up that skirt and kept right on talking what else are you going to do you guys, this has been, without a doubt, the best two years of my sobriety, and I want to share that here with you tonight. You know, if you'd have asked me a year ago, New Year's Eve, are your men's made now, Clex Thomas? I would have said yes, and that been the absolute truth for me. I'm $86,000 out of debt in this program. I owe nobody nothing, no verbal amends, no financial amends. I'm home free here. All I've got to do is have a sponsor, have a God in my life, work with others, have commitments, go to meetings. The other 3,000 things we do to stay sober, looks like I'm going to be okay and stuff. And our book says that more will be revealed, folks. And I said to Kansas City, Missouri, a year ago on New Year's Eve to give an AA talk, and there this big dinner dance banquet, so they invited me to come. So air traffic control to hell us for a reason. So we were circling the Kansas City airport and looked out the airplane window and I spied the Hyattmancy Hotel. I thought, oh my God, there's a Hyatt. And I remember something I'd done about 35 years ago. You know, I read my inventory to my sponsor. I'd not mention this for whatever reason. I'd done so much of this sort of thing. It was no big deal, I guess, but I really didn't even remember it in inventory time. So now I remember now i got to tell my sponsor. So I called him up and he said, well, get over there and make amends for you. Probably gave the place a bad name. And I thought, well, if I have time, I'll get that done. I did not have time to get that done. That committee kept
get me really, really busy and stuff. I'm going to be there for 24 hours. But anyway, 35 years ago, on Easter morning, I found myself in the High Ridge Hotel glass elevator in Kansas City, Missouri, stark naked. And then on the first floor of the hotel, and the door opened up, and here's this family sending their Easter clothes. I never forget the look on these people's faces as long as I live. And, and I thought, well, if I have time, I'll get that done. You know, like I said, I didn't have time to get it done. So I'm at the airport on New Year's Day to come back to L.A., and, and my flight was canceled. I thought, great, I got five hours to kill, take a shuttle to the Hyatt and try to find somebody to talk to, although I didn't find anybody on New Year's Day to talk to. And, boy, I was wrong about that, let me tell you. I sent the manager of the Hyatt Hotel, and I told him what I'd done, and he laughed. He said, Karen, stop. I have to tell you a funny story. He said, 35 years ago, my dad was manager of the Hyatt at that time. We were here having Easter brunch, and he said, I was only seven years old. I will never forget this as long as I live. And he got to take the glass elevator upstairs to the brunch area, and the door opened up, and a naked woman got off. And he said, he said, oh, I'd never seen a naked woman before. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I had to be your first one, but take care of you to get here. He said, and guess what? Mom and Dad are here this week. And I thought, oh, wonderful, you know. He said, yeah, they're celebrating their 35th and their 65th wedding anniversary. Let's have them come down and meet you. I put them in the honeymoon suite, and I thought, let's not. But we don't say that. We just go along. And I said, whatever you want to do will be fine with me. So mom and dad came down. I thought, my God, they're probably 150 years old. All walkers are by the heart attack when they find who I am. And boy, was I wrong about that. I sound the loveliest people I have ever met before in my life. And they laughed. They said, Karen, we talked about you for years in the bars of the higher And I thought, yeah, I bet you did, too. And I said, I'm so sorry I embarrassed you and your family here, although years ago. What can I do to make that right? And they said, just don't ever do it again. I said, you know what? I can't think of anything more disgusting than a 59-year-old woman getting out of a glass elevator stark naked. I'll never much by taking that path anytime soon. So as I stand here tonight, my men's remain in Alcoholics Thomas. But it ain't midnight yet, folks. You never know what's going to happen around here. And, and two years ago, last weekend, I was over in Laughlin, Nevada. I, I spoke at the Tri-State Roundup. If you guys hadn't experienced that conference, my God, it's a great event. They get about six, 7,000 people at this thing. And we were hanging around the casino on Thursday night waiting for the meeting start, and I hit a $10,000 slot is what happened. And I was to experience every promise in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in about five seconds flat. I was to know a new freedom and a new happiness, and fear financially and security left me temporarily. If you're new here tonight, that is not how you get the promises in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I swear to God, I got them on. It was a great thing. Don Laughlin owns that hotel there, so at the Riverside Hotel, so he came down to tell me hi. Actually, they want their money back is what they want, but he said, can we extend your stay? And I said, no, check, please. I'm taking it back to Ellie. And he said, what are you doing here this weekend? And I said, well, actually, I'm speaking at the conference. He said, oh, can I come hear you talk? I love to hear the A speakers talk. And I thought, why would you want to do that? It's your hotel, do whatever you want to, I guess. And by God, he was in the line the very next night. You know what he said to me? They never give up, folks. He says to me, are you sure we can't extend your stay? And I said, I'm positive. So I'm happy to report here tonight. I brought that 10 grand back to L.A. I paid my car off with it. And I am truly debt-free and out like Thomas. And it is a great position to be in, let me tell you guys. I never wish again ever to pay $86,000 back again as long as I live. It took me 18 years to do that. It's like paying for dead horses everywhere. But, you know, I'm not a martyr up here. I didn't want to pay one penny of it back. And my sponsor told me, would you like to get yourself a different sponsor, Karen? I said, no. He said, pay the money back. is isn't your money. It's other people's money. Figure out a way to do it and get it done. And, uh, and so I'm so happy I did that. In retrospect, oh. 
in retrospect, everything that I do in Alcoxomus I see in retrospect, and I'm glad I do it, but I'm sure not glad about it when I'm doing it, I've got to tell you. But, but anyway, so it's been a great two years of my sobriety and stuff. And, you know, I come from a wonderful home there in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I want you to know that, and my mother wants you to know it too, I'll guarantee you that. You know, my mom died 13 years ago, and God, I miss her so much, I can't begin to tell you guys. And, boy, you only get one, folks, and when they're gone, they're gone. And I've made amends for her many, many years ago. We had a wonderful relationship the last years of her life and stuff, but I just miss her so much, and I have to tell you, you guys a funny story. Not that my mom died, of course. I was back in Nebraska in August to visit my kids and my grandkids and stuff, and I told my eldest son, I'm going to go up to Grandma, Grandma's grave and put some flowers down. I said, where's your other grandmother buried? I was not there for my ex-mother-in-law's funeral. So he said, well, Mom, just mark off 15 rows from Grandma's grave, and there's Grandma Lynn's grave. And I said, okay. So it's a little bit tiny graveyard, and it was overcast in Nebraska. It had been raining all day, and, and I told him I'd speak at their lawn club at 5.30. It was already like 12 minutes after 5, and I really had to move right along here. So I put the flowers on my mom's grave and, and marked off 15 rows to my ex-mother-in-law's grave. I put the flowers down and I backed up and I found myself in an eight-foot grave, you guys, and I could not get out of that damn thing. Let me tell you something, people, when you're in it, you're not getting out of it, trust me, but... Apparently, the grave diggers thought, well, you know what? They put up a tarp, a tarp sign and a caution thing and a thing to hold the casket. It's basically impossible to fall in a grave. But they thought, well, nobody's out here. It's raining. Nobody's here. Let's go to dinner and we'll come back and do it later. And I come sauntering over. But I thought, how am I going to get out of this grave? I was more worried about that meeting than I was anything else. I've been t- taught to show up my commitments enough like some of us, but standing in my dress, mud and all and stuff. But anyway, what do you do? You start screaming, help is what you do. So pretty soon this old lady walked over the grave. She's old, but I'm not right? And she says to me, I don't think you're supposed to be in there. And I thought, <laughs> excuse me. However, I didn't say that. I, I said, do you have a cell phone you by any chance? And she says, you know, I don't. And I said, can you go up the office and see if anybody's there? Get a ladder, call the fire department. What they got to do to get me out of this grave? And I said, but tell them not to run the sirens. Nobody's hurt or anything here. So here they come, you guys. Six Lincoln, Nebraska fire trucks with their sirens going. Three Lincoln, Nebraska police cars with their sirens going. And reporters of all damn things. <laughs> and I said, don't you dare put my name in the paper. And they said, we have to report the fire call. We won't put your name in the paper. And I said, you better see that you don't. And there it was Monday morning. California woman falls in eight-foot grave, Karen Gary. And I can't believe they did that, but you never know what's going to happen now, like Thomas. But anyway, like I said, I miss my mom very, very much and stuff. And I come from an alcoholic home, and I don't think that's neither here nor there. I don't do well with people that stand at AA podiums and blame anybody for anything. And my father died from this disease on the streets of Chicago in 1979. And you tell me how Major in the Air Force dies on Skid Row. I don't know how that happened other than the fact that he was an alcoholic. And whether he found AA or not, I do not know. I just know that he certainly did not stay sober as a result of it. So one more time tonight, this is a cunning, baffling, powerful disease that kills people. This is not a game I'm playing up here. This is serious business. I would give in the world if my father were alive tonight because we would have a lot to talk about, I can tell you. I have a sister who was Miss Rara in high school and homecoming queen and cheerleader and all that kind of stuff and made straight A's and never cracked a book and I made straight F's and never cracked a book and that was the difference. My sister was a beautiful little girl. She's a gorgeous woman today. She looks nothing like I do, i got to tell you. And she was a model for many, many years for Neiman Marcus in Dallas and now she's retired and teaches school in the West Indies. And i got to tell you guys, as a direct result of this program, I love my sister very, very much tonight. 
interesting. I found out something about her. She's also very beautiful on the inside, too, and I never used to know that. I have a brother who was a fighter pilot in the Navy for many years. My brother retired five years ago in August and did 9-11 in Iraq and so forth. He's been called back in the service. And, you know, my brother is really old to be a fighter pilot, you guys. He's 52 years old. And we were growing up. I thought he was such a dork, I can't begin to tell you. Straight as an arrow mic, doesn't drink, doesn't use drugs, doesn't screw around. He was an embarrassment to me, if you want to know the truth. And, and uh, tonight I'm so proud of that man, I cannot begin to tell you. You wouldn't catch me over Iraq in any fighter plane, but neither one of these people are alcoholic. And I have another sister who's married the public defender in Lincoln, Nebraska, who got me out of a whole bunch of trouble when I got sober. And I'm welcome in their homestay, and I never used to be. I come from basically a very boring family, you know the truth. They're high successful people, and they bore me to tears. I love them, but they bore me to tears. And I have a couple of kids who are 45 and 46 years old, and I know I certainly don't look old enough to have kids at age, but by God, I sure do. And, and this is where it really starts getting interesting for me. These kids are anything but boring, i got to tell you guys. As a matter of fact, they're a couple of jerks, if you want to know the truth. But you know what? Those couple of jerks have given me five of the most gorgeous grandbabies you have ever seen before in your life. And, you know, I hate to be a bragging grandmother as I stand here tonight. I detest people that do this, but when I do, it's a whole different ballgame, let me tell you. I have a... A beautiful grandson, his name is Ryan, and Ryan is 15, soon to be 16 years old, and apparently Ryan is quite a gymnast, you guys. I knew he was good, but I know he was that good, and, and my son and his wife got a phone call from Budweiser of St. Louis, Missouri, wanted to sponsor this kid and train him for the Olympics, you guys, and, and my son called me, and this is the kind of alcoholic I am. I jump from phone call to Olympic Stadium, gold medal around his neck, and what will I wear, you know, happened just that quick, but I found myself telling my son, Jeff, you have to think is right here, this is your child, not mine, and I I wanted to shriek them and so let him go, you idiots, the opportunity of a lifetime. But I kept my mouth shut. Once my alcoholic Thomas has taught me to keep my mouth shut, and it really turned out well this time. And he said, Mom, we don't know what to do. What would you do, Mom? Now I'm on, folks. And I said, well, Jeff, I don't think anybody knows what they would do for sure unless it happens to him. But I said, we have a dear friend, Lincoln's a child psychologist. And I said, why don't you have Chris come over and talk to Ryan and see what he thinks? And, and my son did exactly that. And yet that child psychologist told my son and his wife, let him go. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. He's a very stable young man, so I'm happy to report here tonight that my little grandbaby is down in Norman, Oklahoma, trained at Nadia Komenichi and Bart Connors Clinic down there, and you guys, I have no idea what's going to happen, that I have no idea, but I'll guarantee you one thing, if that baby goes to China, his grandma will be in that stadium, if I have to walk there, I'll be there, but you know, in our book, Alcoholic Psalmist, it says that great events will come to pass for us and countless others, and I want to share a very great event in my life with you. It won't be in your lives, it was most certainly in mine. You guys, when I got sober, my family wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. They all the crap they're going to take off me years before I quit drinking. Had to walk away throwing sand through the truth. So and I give my family as icing on the cake, let me tell you guys. And, and through making amends and sponsorship and the things we do around here, it's all turned around for me now. But it took a long time for it to happen. And in my case, that's a good thing. But on my 20th AA birthday, it was Ryan's very first day down in Norman, Oklahoma. And he called me about 1030 at night. And he said, oh, grandmother, I'm so sorry to call you so late. And I said, it is never too late to call your grandmother. Don't you ever think that? And he said, oh, grandma, I wanted to wish you happy 20th birthday. And you guys, I just stood there and cried like a baby. And he said, oh, Grandma, make you cry. And I said, you didn't make me cry. I'm crying because I'm so happy that you called me. And he said, oh, Grandma, we're so proud of you. And I thought, oh, stop. You know, but anyway, same thing happened on a birth number 21, a birth number 22, a birth number 23, and maybe, just maybe, next week on a birth number 24, it'll happen again to me and stuff. So things with my family are very, very good tonight. Like I said, it is only a direct result of this program. And it took a long time for it to happen. In my case, that's the 
good thing. But you guys, I was a disruptive jerk when I was growing up, always in trouble, getting kicked out of classrooms. I hated discipline. I was very, very rebellious. I really hated people telling me what to do. And I like it even less today, if you want to know the truth. And, you know, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. And I hear that a lot from AA podiums, and I'm right on with that, 125 percent, i got to tell you. You know, I really don't remember my first drink, you guys, but I can tell you that I hope to God I never forget my last one. And I hope it was my last one. Remember what alcohol did for me from the very beginning? It made me feel like I belonged, and I could be anything I wanted to be. I could do anything I wanted to do. I drank at any given opportunity after that, and I was probably about 13 years old. You know, I realize that I'm going to meet about like Thomas tonight, and I honor this podium by talking about alcoholism up here. I used a lot of drugs, too, make that a small part of my story. My sponsor encourages me to do that. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and Bill Wilson's story, he talks about and the powerful influence of alcohol and sedation. He wound up on the rocks. That is precisely what happened to me and stuff. But anyway... You know, I'm one of these alcoholic females, and I hate to say this from an AA podium, but it's precisely the way that it was for me, and we're supposed to tell the truth up here, that if you pat me on the head, my pants fall as it happens to me, and I got myself into a lot of trouble when I was growing up. I absolutely love men. I love everything about them. You know about and I love them. They've been the downfall of my entire existence, and they remain the same today, I'm sorry to say, and I particularly like sick men, and there's a room full of them here tonight. I can just feel it, you know. That's a... One thing, girls, I love about Southern California, it's got so many sitting in, I'm just entertained around the clock 24 hours a day. And I could tell you guys a funny story. I was in Nashville, Tennessee about maybe 14 years ago giving a talk, and one of the fine ladies of Nashville, Tennessee, A, walked up to me afterwards, I want you to know, and this woman said to me, she said, you're disgusting. And she wasn't kidding you guys. She meant every word of it. And I said, lady, from where I come from, being disgusting is a step up, I can assure you. And furthermore, <laughs> if I wanted you to sponsor me, I'd flown to Nashville and asked you. You know, I hear some women get this podium, and I wonder if they ever drank, you guys. I really do. Do all their drinking rooms and shoot tune through the keyhole with an eyedropper. I was out there big time. I got myself into a lot of trouble. I've been taught to share that thing in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I offend anybody in this room tonight, I would never offend anybody in the program that saved my life. And besides that, my book tells me, and this is my favorite part of our book, it says, Clean to the thought that in God's hands your dark past will be the greatest possession that you have. And it goes on to say, because you can literally avert death and misery for others. And I found it to be very, very true in my sobriety. So if I offend anybody here tonight, I don't want to hear about it afterwards. But anyway, I got pregnant when I was 16 years old. I had to get married. In my day, girls, you had to get married. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. just what we did and stuff. And as it must be, I married an alcoholic. He was 17. I was 16. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't take care of a baby, nor did I want to take care of a baby. And before we knew it, we had two babies to take care of. And I quick found out what caused all that, and I put a halt to it, I'll guarantee you that. And, uh, and that caused me a lot of trouble throughout the years. And as it must be, I married an individual that refused to work, that drank on a daily basis. He's come on and beat me up on a daily basis. And I had never seen a man hit a woman before in my life, you guys. I'll guarantee you one thing. If my dad would lay one hand on my mom, she'd have knocked him from here to the moon, i got to tell you. And I grew to hate this guy very, very much. And I'm not blaming him for my disease, so please don't get me wrong. It's just part of my story, and I need to share it. And, and some in that family had to get a job. And I didn't finish junior high yet, for God's sakes. And I found a job as a nurse's aide at a hospital there in Nebraska. And the magic was put in my life. I really fell in love with nursing. And I made a plan to myself. I would love to go to school, and I'd love to become a registered nurse. That's what I'd love to do. 
will. You know, they say that alcoholics don't have willpower. And I'm going to tell you now from this podium that that is a bunch of crap. I have more willpower than 20 elephants. When I want to do well, I'm going to do well. I don't have one ounce of willpower when it comes to my disease, but when I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And I went back, I finished junior high, I finished high school, I went to college full-time for three years, and I worked full-time for three years. And I'm talking about 18, 20 hours a day, you guys, and that is hard stuff to do. I did not drink, not use any drugs in this period of time. At the age of 27 years old, I became a registered nurse. And if you think I'm proud to stand here tonight and tell you that I got jerked in front of the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska, and they tell me, you are a disgrace to your profession, you're disgraced to nursing, you're disgraced to medicine, you are no longer working because we just jerked your nursing license. If you think I'm proud of that, you are sadly wrong. You guys, I love my profession, and I really, really mean that. And I would never do anything to jeopardize the people I take care of, nor the people that I work with in ordinary circumstances. And what I had to tell you now is a story about how I threw it right down the toilet so I could drink. And that is total insanity. It's also called alcoholism. At the age of 27 years old, I divorced this man. And girls, i got to tell you that a whole new world opened up to me. It's called men and alcohol. And I went absolutely hog wild is what I did. I was engaged eight times during that divorce. I <laughs> never did marry these people. Two of them died from alcoholism. I know nothing about social drinking. I drank and with alcoholics and we do indeed die from this. And at the age of 27 years old, I went to work in surgery at a hospital there in Nebraska. And I had that job for 19 years. I love working in the operating room. I love taking care of those patients. It's a colorful, exciting nursing position. I drank and with medical people mostly. They were colorful, intense people, and they worked hard, and they played hard. And I need to tell you guys that the incidence of alcoholism amongst my profession is tremendously high. And that will do a lot for your skill. going to have surgery next week. But it has to be very, very true. And, and those people are so grateful that I'm sober that they can't see straight. And I'm talking about alcoholics is what I'm talking about. You know, in our book, Alcoholics Anonymous, it says clearly that we're telling the gym away what our drinking was like. And you get the general idea real quick about my drinking was like. I can tell you guys about my drinking about five seconds flat, you know the truth. Many, many years ago, I was a little concert in upstate New York called Woodstock. And I'm not talking about that piece of crap they had ten years ago. I'm talking about the real Woodstock. And there will never be another one, trust me on that. The kids from the 60s threw a party that nobody will ever match, I am quite sure. And New York got when they're going to have this big event. And they told these people, if you don't get medical coverage, you are not going to have this concert. Started hiring people from Nebraska. Got to be more responsible. And we were a seedy lot, I can assure you. And I was the first drunk to sign up this deal. And my nine girls I worked with to join me and met about 80 doctors from New York and there we were Woodstock. I never seen so much alcohol in one place in my entire life. You could have easily sold a vaginal problem whatsoever and the drugs, it was like a candy store and everybody was sharing, we were sharing archives with everybody else. But we had this great big semi truck on that back lot of Woodstock. That was our hospital park back there. And I recall being in that semi the entire week. But I do recall it was like to stand from the stage at night that Richie Haven sang Freedom and Joe Cocker and Country Joe sent down the scripts that I love. I come from the roaring 60s, you guys, and I love rock and roll. Let me tell you, and things have not changed in my life in a little tiny bit. I loved Elvis Presley, and Janice Joplin was my lady, let me tell you. Wouldn't Janice Joplin have been a fine member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you guys? I'd have hung out with Janice, let me tell you. I'd have traded Janice for Clancy any day of the week if you wanted the truth. <laughs> That's not true. That is a big, fat lie. I did not mean that. Do not tell him I said that, please. I was just kidding. I wouldn't trade my sponsor for 20 Janice Joplin's. Drinking for me at one time was a fun thing, you guys. It'd be like me standing out and saying anything but that. But I cannot remember the fun of the pain that it caused me. And one more time, I am so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous, I cannot begin to tell you. You know, the drunk driving charges, the bad checks, all the stuff that we eventually do. My kids were in trouble. I never could marry these guys I was engaged to. They kept dying from alcoholism. I thought, you know, I need to get married to my ex-husband again. That's why I need 
to do. They can't see their father. Besides, I can get even with him for all the things that he's done to me. And those are not very good reasons to get married again, i got to tell you. And I'm certainly not proud of that as I stand here tonight. And, you know, if anybody in this room is thinking about getting married to the same person twice, don't do it. You're going to be sorry. The only way I can describe it is like taking a bite out of the same turd twice, if you will. I'm sorry, but that's the way I feel. And he feels the same way I do, as a matter of fact. And I danced that man through three of the most miserable years of his life on the face of this earth. And I love to tell you guys this story, but I tell you. And my sponsor always tells me that is not funny. And you should not be telling that from AA podiums. I said, okay, fine, then I won't tell anymore. And he said, no, go ahead and tell those people see how sick you really were. And apparently how sick you really still are. And I'm still sick and I still think it's funny and I'm telling the story. <laughs> when I married him again... I told him, I said, if you ever hit me again, buddy, I will kill you next time you hit me. And he said, I'll never hit you again ever. And I said, you better see that you don't. And he lied is what he did. And he came home drunk one night. And, and I happened to be sober this night for some reason. And I'll never know why because I usually wasn't. And, and girls, you know what guys do when they come home drunk. They want to take you to bed and stuff. And I was not buying it. If there's anything I can't stand, it's some drunk man mauling me when I'm sober. And, and uh, <laughs> I will say that when, when the shoe's on the other foot, though, it's fine with me. And, and that guy came home and indicated that to me. And I said, you get your hands off me and leave me alone. I wanted nothing to do with him, period. And he broke my arm is what he did. And I'm here to tell you guys that I was pissed. As a matter of fact, I'm still pissed about it, you know the truth. And I told him, I said, you go to sleep on that couch and so help me, God, when you wake up, you're going to wish you'd never been born. And he said it for hours, you guys, his eyes pried open. And as it must be, he finally passed out. And I started drinking martinis. And this is a classic example of what alcohol did for me. Alcohol told me what to do. I didn't tell her what to do. And I had about eight, ten martinis, and I was feeling no pain, I can assure you. And I was sitting there watching this guy. And I hate to tell you what this man was doing, but I can't tell you, the strongest can tell you what he was doing. He was laying on the couch playing with himself. I thought, you disgusting man, you make me sick to my stomach. And the more I drank, the madder I got. And you guys, you know, I'm a nurse, and I'm very familiar with male anatomy. And I'd be very familiar with male anatomy if I wasn't a nurse. But yeah, I thought to myself... What can I do to get even with this guy for all the things he's done to me? And I came with this brilliant idea in my drunken stupor. That's one thing we should never do, folks, is drink and think at the same time. And this is many, many years ago, you guys, when superglue first came out. And superglue was powerful stuff. You know, there has been several instances in the United States in the last six months or so of superglue stuff. I'm the original superglue person. I wear it like a badge of honor, for God's sakes. But anyway, I got that superglue, and I read the directions on that superglue. And like I said, I was drunk, and I wasn't seeing very clearly. And what I thought those directions said were, if this hits human skin, you better get it off in 15 hours. Now, why would it say something stupid like that? What it said was, in fact, if this hits human skin, you better get it off in five minutes, is what it said. And I wanted this guy, I get so excited when I tell this story, I could just do it all over again. And I poured superglue all over this guy's groin, and I mean everywhere. There was not one place, man, I have super glue, and I laughed about it, and I went to bed. And I woke up in the morning just screams of horror, like you cannot even believe. And, you know, I did not mean to hurt this guy as bad as I did, and I swear to God that's true, but I'll tell you what happened to my ex-husband. This guy never had the advantage of being circumcised when he was born, and now he clearly was, I can assure you. And, and uh, <laughs> We had a telephone by our bed there, and our bed in there, and Lincoln, he called the police, and the cops were out in front of our home with their sirens going. There was an ambulance out there, and the neighbors were gawking out of their windows. And, you know, one thing you guys got to keep in mind here, they do not see things like this happen in Lincoln, Nebraska. And California would not surprise me one bit, but certainly not there. And, and the cops were laughing, which maybe the whole thing was funny. And they said, lady, are you crazy or what? Why would you do something like this? And I said, what makes you think that I did it anyway? I was only standing there with glue on my hands, for God's sakes. And, and they said, you're under 
arrest for assault and battery. And I said, you cannot arrest wives in Nebraska for assault and battery against their husbands. I knew better than that. And two days later when I got out of jail, I guess I didn't know better than that. And they took that man to the very hospital I worked at in surgery, and he had to have surgery. And one more time, the whole staff saw what Karen did, and they took me to jail on my dad, and it turned out to be a terrible, terrible thing. Those doctors there in Lincoln couldn't get that glue off, and they had to get two surgeons down from Creighton University Medical School in Omaha, Nebraska, to get that glue off. And, you know, there's a paper in about that at Creighton, and even this room's going to medical school there, you can read about it if you want to. I'd always wanted a paper in about me, but not like this, i got to tell you. And, and I was sitting in that jail thinking to myself, I am getting out of this marriage. When this guy comes home from the hospital, he's going to glue something to mine shut. He would have, too, i got to tell you. I'm sorry, but he would have. For those of you who don't know this, that happened to a lady in Kentucky about three years ago. It was on the national news, and I thought, oh, my. I was on the freeway, but I had a wreck when I heard it. I thought, my God, better her than me, i got to tell you. But, you know... We have an amends step in this program, and my sponsor made me get on an airplane and fly to Sacramento, California, and make amends to my ex-husband where he currently lives. And I tried to tell my sponsor, I'm not sorry that I did that. Therefore, I have to make the amends. He said, I don't care whether you're sorry or not. Get in that airplane, get there, and do what I'm asking you to do, and maybe one of these days you will be sorry. And I'll tell anybody in this room tonight, when that guy sees me, he kind of backs up, let me tell you. But we're able to sit down and talk and stuff, and I made my amends to him. And I will tell you guys, I walked away from that man. I was free what I had done to him. I was of being married to him twice, and I will tell you, for the first time in my sobriety, the promises in the biblical of Alcoholics Anonymous came true in my life. And you know what else I found about that? Motives mean nothing here, folks. My motives sucked on that one big time, but I still got the promises, so go figure. It's action A that counts around here, not motives and stuff. But anyway, I have to tell you guys a funny story. I went up to Lompoc Prison. <laughs> Lompoc was prison to speak a couple of years ago and at one time they had this monthly speakers meeting and the warden has now made him get rid of that of that meeting and stuff. I don't know, have no idea why, but they can do that and stuff. But, so a lot of us used to go up there and, and give A talks at Lompoc Prison. As we all know, it's a men's federal penitentiary in Central Coast, California. So I drove up there and you have to go to the guard tower and you push the button. They say, who are you and what is your business? And I told them, they said, well, Mrs. Garrison, do you have any weapons on you? Any guns, knives, explosives? And I said, no. And they said, well, Mrs. Garrison, do you have any super glue on you? <laughs> For the first time in my life, I was speechless, absolutely speechless. And they have the guard tower laughing. The prisoners put them up to it and stuff. And I said, well, no, as a matter of fact, I don't. And they said, well, then you can come on in. And then the prisoners took me to their meeting room, and this big blackboard in their meeting room with a great big circle with a red slash. I said, no super glue in here tonight. You never know what's going to happen now, like Thomas. But anyway, I divorced this guy one more time, and I got involved with the most bizarre man I've ever met before in my life. This guy told me he was in the mafia. Now, I don't think anybody in Lincoln, Nebraska is in the mafia, for Christ's sakes. And I was lying to him, and he was lying to me. It was your typical alcoholic nightmare is what it was. I was drinking on a daily basis. I was taking Valium for severe tremors I was starting to have. It was going to begin to be no more fun, i got to tell you guys. You know, I'm a nurse and I've studied alcoholism. I knew all about before I became one. It shows me one more time tonight what our book says is so true. Self-knowledge avails us nothing with this disease. It's action that counts. Nowhere in the big book of alcoholic psalmist we have a chapter called Into Thinking. We do one that's called Into Action. And that's the only reason I'm standing here 23 years sober. And the day came to me the hospital told me, Karen, we have had all the crap we're going to take off of you. We cannot read our nursing staff in the paper anymore. Glue and husbands, drunk driving charges, bad checks, all the stuff that you're doing. They said, you are the, one of the finest nurses on this staff. You have won awards for your nursing ability. What in the world is the matter with you? You have a drinking problem, and we're not putting up with it anymore. You know, we're not protecting you anymore. You're either going to a treatment center, or you are out of here. And I said, you and what army is going to make me go to a treatment center? And I walked out of a job that I loved more than anything in the whole 
world, and I cannot say enough tonight. And I drank, and I drank, and I died, and I died a thousand times over. I went to work in a nursing home there in Lincoln. What I'm ready to share with you guys is something I am not proud to discuss from any AA podium. It took me years in my sobriety before I would ever mention this. I found myself still in drugs in that nursing home, and it's not because I like drugs. It has nothing to do with anything. I was physically addicted to alcohol by now. I had to have this stuff. I couldn't go more than three hours without drinking. I couldn't drink at work, so I started stealing narcotics. It's just that damn simple. And I hated myself so bad I cannot begin to tell you guys. And I was stealing morphine and Demerol and cocaine and Valium, and I get my damn hands on. And if you think I'm proud of that, you are sadly wrong. And, and the day came to me, the people that ran that place came up to me, and they said, Karen, what is wrong with you? You are just weird as what you are. Now, you take good, good care of the patients. You're an excellent nurse, but you're just strange. And I remember thinking to myself, you'd be strange, too, if you had 200 milligrams of Demerol on board. You'd be strange, too. And I threw my keys at them, and I walked out the door before they fired me. And I went to work at Bryan Memorial Hospital there in Lincoln. And you guys, it's a fine, fine facility. And I was drunk on that area. You've got the nursing position. And I'm not talking about falling down drunk. I was just maintaining a sort of alcohol in my bloodstream that I would not shake and have those violent tremors. That is clearly desperation drinking. Our book describes it vividly. And I was in hot water up to my yin-yang, let me tell you. I had to drink. I had to take drugs. I had no more choice in it. And I will tell you guys, the fun was over. It was something I had to do. When that happens, it's a whole different ball game around here, let me tell you. The very thought that I might drink again makes the hair on my neck stand straight up. And that's how I'm an acting about Alcoholics and stuff. But the day came for me when I got caught red hand stealing some morphine from the hospital. And this has got to be, without a doubt, the most humiliating of my entire life. When they say, you give us your narcotic keys and you get out of this hospital, don't you ever walk back in here again. We're reporting this to the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they should have done. My other job should have done it too, as a matter of fact. And long story short here tonight, I lost my nursing license. And to make a long story short and short here tonight, I went up on the streets of Nebraska is what happened to me. And you guys, I spent two years on the streets. And I've traveled the Midwest, I prostituted myself, and I'll guarantee you one thing, that I have seen and done things that no woman should ever see or do. And I'm still so sick in the head sometimes, I think to myself, I wouldn't mind seeing some of them again, you know. And my sponsor assures me I'm still a very ill member of Alcoholics Thomas. But, you know, I've been in nut houses, I've been in detoxes, I've been in jails, I've been institutions. I cannot think of a thing in the streets of the practice of being an alcoholic. Things happen I would not repeat in this podium tonight, but I'm sure that you had the general idea. And two years will buy for me. And there I was back there in Lincoln, standing on skid row, sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And I certainly had better things intended for myself than to be doing that, let me tell you. I will never forget that last day of my drinking as long as I live. And I hope to God it was the last day of my drinking. I apparently was so physically sick I just passed down the streets is what happened. But before that happened, I remember thinking to myself, there was a Hilton Hotel, a in that Skid Row area, and I remember thinking two years ago, I used to stand on top of the Hilton Hotel and drink martinis with surgeons. What am I doing standing on Skid Row drinking with these people? And I rather imagine those folks felt the same way when they arrived there. And like I said, I can't tell you much about it at all. I woke up in an intensive care ward of the very hospital I was born at, the very hospital I worked at for 19 years, and I will tell you guys clearly that the alcoholic hell for me started the day I got sober. You know, I'm not a very big person. I weighed 95 pounds when I got sober, and I was coming off a quarter whatever day and 200 milligrams of Valium a day. That is a lot of booze, that's a lot of pills, and I had a lot of dying to do, let me tell you. I laid in that intensive care ward, I had tubes come out of my belly, they were draining fluid off my liver, I had IVs going, and I found myself in withdrawal that was so bad I cannot begin to tell you guys. And I laid in that intensive care ward, and I shook, and I shook, and I died, and I died for 30 solid days, and I'd scream at those nurses and demand they give me drugs this withdrawal. They would not give me drug one. They said, there's nothing wrong with your heart, it's not throwing any irregularities, you need to fill around those tremors and maybe you'll never do it again. And I did not want to hear that, let me tell you. But let me tell you what these people did for me, and I will be forever grateful as long as I'm sober, now Clark Thomas. They got ten members of AA to come and sit with me, and these people never left me day or night for 30 
these holidays. And, you know, I just want to say something very quickly because I feel so strongly about this because it saved my life. Once on A, I hear people say, not very many people, and I don't hear it that often, but when I hear it, I want to throttle them by the neck. They say things like, we don't go unless the alcoholic calls us. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm standing here 23 years sober tonight. I never made any damn phone call. Where did that crap come from? It's good enough for our co-founders. By God, it's good enough for us. I think Bill called Bob as the story goes. I don't think Bob called Bill. I will never forget where I'm coming from around here. My responsibility statement does indeed say, when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, we want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I'm responsible. The nurses reached out. The alcoholics responded. And I have to believe it's a direct result of them standing here 23 years sober night. So anyway... I just love these people. They say things like, Karen, just keep breathing. That's all I gotta do is breathe. And I'd say, when is this withdrawal gonna stop? And they said, when it's time, that's when it's gonna stop. And that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted a date is what I wanted. <laughs> they were absolutely accurate about that. I had 30 days of sobriety. I walked into the official treatment from that hospital. I'm a product of a treatment center. I have no opinion on one way or the other. But apparently I went to a fine one because all they talked about was Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and boy, there's a lot of bad ones out there, you guys. Let me tell you. And thank God I went to a good one. And let me tell you what I was like when I was 30 days sober. I need you so desperately on day one that 30 days there was a whole different ball game. You started telling me what to do and stuff. And, you know, when I went through treatment, a lot of people got kicked out of treatment for fraternizing. I didn't. Nobody wants to fraternize an orange person, I can assure you. And, Bring the, bring the patients over to the hospital and they'd say, look at her, see what's going to happen to you if you keep on drinking, look at her. I thought, how dare you bring people in my room and say stuff like that. But you guys, you know what, in retrospect tonight, I'm really glad they did that. I get to think about that before I pick up any drink. But I was on a quick study in that inpatient 30-day program, due to my very rotten behavior. I was in there for seven long months. That's a long time to be in an inpatient 30-day program. But I completed that inpatient program, and I went to an outpatient program, and I went to an evening care program, and I went to an aftercare program. And I found myself a very, very active like Psalmist in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I was not doing one thing, but you te- you te- people teach people in AA to do it. And I rapidly went through 19 sponsors in that town. You know, I know of nothing more dangerous for, for me not to have a sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I was, my butt was in the chairs, I had commitments, I was doing the stuff around here, but I had not taken direction from anybody, you know, and I went through 19 sponsors in that town, and I would tell the new people, you don't need to read the book, and you don't need to sponsor, we do what I do right here, this is an individual program, and needless to say, I was not real popular with the old-timers in Lincoln, Nebraska, you guys, the old-timers, and they are so precious to me as I stand here tonight, but not in 1982, I could have killed us what these people thought, and you can pull your stuff around here just for so long, and these old-timers are going to start nailing you one right at the other, God love them, you know, old-timers and like Thomas, they at least save my my life and boy they are dying off right and left I gotta tell you guys and, and they have taught me well and I'll be internally grateful but this old guy with 29 years of sobriety grabbed me and Amy one day he said come outside I want to talk to you he said you stay away from the new people how dare you tell the new people in AA read the book and they need a sponsor he said you're like a typhoid Mary in AA everybody dies around you but you're able to stay sober somehow and he went on to tell me there's going to be a man from California speaking in Connie, Nebraska this weekend his name is Clancy hear this man speaker and ask this man if he will sponsor you he is a man Master dealing with jerks like you. And I heard all about Clancy, and I wanted nothing to do with him, period, because I knew I was going to be in bad, bad trouble. And i got to tell you guys that my fears have been justified 8,000 times over. But I told this old-timer, I said, who do you think you are that you're going to tell me he's going to be my sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous? He said, if you don't get in that car and go this Saturday, I'm going to tell everybody in Lincoln how you stole money from an AA meeting. And I'll guarantee I was in that car going to Connie, Nebraska. And I paid that money back, too, by the way. I did pay it back. And I will tell you guys from a podium in Connie, Nebraska, that 
that man literally put the magic of alcoholic Thomas in my life. My life has never been the same since that talk. And there's a reason for that. For the first time in my sobriety, I was identifying another alcoholic. And as I understand alcoholic Thomas, that's what this thing is all about. I know of no finer speaker in the world than my sponsor. I'm not saying that you need to believe that. It's only important that I believe that. And by the end of that talk, I wanted that man for my sponsor. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how God works in my life. I would have asked that man to sponsor me in a million years. Trust me, I wouldn't have asked him. And I found myself well across that convention floor, asked that man to be my sponsor. And he looked at me and he said, I don't sponsor crazy people like you. And that's a lie anyway. He sponsors people crazy than I ever thought of being. And I thought to myself, why did he say that to me for? He didn't even know me. And I wasn't aware of the fact this old-timer had called him two weeks prior to coming to Nebraska and asked him if he brought me if he would talk to me. He said, of course I won. He knew my game, let me tell you. And sent my little white dress on, my little white gloves on, acting like an angel. And he said, Karen, I'm not to sponsor people on long-distance basis, but I'm going to do this for you. Because if I don't, don't do it for you, you'd probably go die somewhere. But he said, I'm going to tell you something, little girl, and you better listen to me real good because I'm going to say it one time and one time only. You're going to call me that I tell you not to call me every day. You're going to read that book. You're going to sponsor people, become an active army of alcoholics. You're not going to argue with me, defend your actions to me. You're going to do what I ask you to do. And if you don't want to do that, then get yourself a different sponsor. And you guys, you want to talk about we stood at the turning point. This is the end my recovery, really beginning out like Thomas. And I said two words that I almost fell over when I said them. I said, yes, sir. I don't tell people, yes, sir. Trust me, I do not. One more time, God do what I can't do for myself. Respect's got to start for me somewhere. And I was going to start my sponsor, now like Thomas. And I went back to Lincoln. I became very, very active in the right way. Whenever I sponsored a lot of women in that town, you know, and it wasn't long before. And I'm not bragging about that. It is not that much fun to sponsor 56 crazy women in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I grew to love those women very, very much, and I'll tell you why. They literally showed me the first four years of my sobriety what to do and what not to do in this program, and every one of those women is still sober today, with the exception of one, and she died in a car accident when she was 13 years sober. But she died sober, you guys, and it wasn't because of me. They were active members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and one of the first directions my sponsor gave me, I want you to get that nursing license back. I tried to tell this man I cannot go that kind of humiliation. He said, Karen, are you arguing with me? And I said, no. He said, get the State Board of Nursing Nebraska and tell those people you've been sober in A for a year and a half, you'd like the opportunity to get your nursing license back. And you guys, I knew it wasn't going to work, but I did it anyway. And that's without a doubt the most important thing I can say in this room tonight. I did what my sponsor asked me to do, whether I thought it would work or not. And I asked for my license back. And they looked at me like I had just grown horns on the top of my head, I can assure you. And they said, how many links are you willing to go to? And I had to do a lot, you guys. I had to take crap off people for two years that I wouldn't hire to mow my own lawn, if you know the truth. And I had to keep my mouth shut in the process, too. And one of the happiest days of my life occurred 20 years ago last month when one more time I was here in front of the State Board of Nursing Nebraska and what they told me brought me to my knees for the first time in Alcoxamas. They said, welcome home. You're fully reinstated as a registered nurse. And as a gift from AA, I did not deserve that. By God, I intended to take it. You know, I came out to the West Coast and visited a couple of times. I fell in love, absolutely in love with the West Coast AA out here. If you're new in this room tonight, I want you to know that you are in the mecca of Alcoxamas in the whole world. This is the best place to be and be sober. And I know that's very, very true because I get the honor of speaking all the world. And I welcome you and I hope that you stand. You know, I told Clancy on the phone one day, I want to move to L.A., live on that crazy Venice Beach with all those crazy people. I knew I took a glove and I've been wrong about that either. But I'm the Pacific Group. I want to work at UCLA in the operating room. We have two of their transplant teams, their heart number transplant teams. I want this and I want that. And every single of those things have come true for me. And those are all gifts from AA. I deserve none, but by God, I'm taking all of it. And, you know, early on, my sponsor told me, excuse me, I'm sorry. What's that say?
I, please forgive me. I have my glasses on. I'm sorry. Um, early on, my sponsor, you know, told me, he says, Karen, you know what? Alcoholics Anonymous in its entirety is a spiritual program. Where are you at with your spirituality? Are you praying at all? This is like day one that I got him for a sponsor. And I said, no, I'm not praying. I don't believe in God. I'm not doing that stuff. He said, would you like to get yourself a different sponsor? I said, no. He, he slipped open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and he showed me where I get a daily reprieve contingent on a spiritual maintenance power, the power greater than myself. And he went on to tell me, there's going to come a day in your sobriety when I can't help you, A can't help you, and you had better well have a God in your life, little girl. You're going to be dead in the disease of alcoholism. And I know that's very, very true because that's happened many, many times in my sobriety. And thank God I had a God by the time it happened. And so I said the magic words to my sponsor. What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get on your knees in the morning. I want you to get on your knees at night. And I want you to pray for God's will. Do not pray for things. Pray for God's will and the power to carry that out. And I started doing that. I did that for four years in a row. I had, I had Clancy long distance for four years, lived in Nebraska. And, and every day I'd talk to him on the phone, I'd say, this is not working for me. I don't feel any connection with God. He says, are you staying so one day at time in Acolytes Thomas? I said, well, you know that I am. He said, that's the point of the whole thing. Are you stupid or what? I wasn't playing with a full deck when I arrived here. It took me a long, long time, these little simple things. And in 1985, I found myself at the World Conference of Acolytes Thomas in Montreal, Canada. But you guys have an experience at World Conference. My God, go to the next one in San Antonio. It's something none of us should ever miss and stuff. And, and I'd driven straight through Nebraska with five people I sponsored, six alcoholic women in one car, quacking the whole, whole way. We drove right straight through. I would never do it again. In a million years, I would never do it again. But we had no money. We only had $100 a piece. We had no place to stay. And by God, we were going to that World Conference. If we had to sleep outside, we were going. So we drove straight through from Lincoln, Nebraska to Montreal, Canada, got the convention center, found an apartment to rent for the whole week for $100. I could not believe our good luck. And I found myself in a great big football stadium at that Friday night meeting. And there was 65,000 sober alcoholics in that football stadium. And I was in awe of Alcoholics Anonymous, in absolute awe of this program. And they were down in the football field. They were practicing for a flag ceremony. And alcoholics from all the world carrying their national flags. And I know if you're new here, not this South sounds real hokey. But the longer I stay sober, the hokier I get for some reason. So anyway, my sponsor was helping him direct that flag ceremony. And I ran into telling him hi. And it just me from people from all over the world in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and you guys, I'm from Nebraska. And I was impressed, let me tell you. And I'm impressed today on people from all the world now. And I ran back up and joined my friends. And that flag ceremony started. And I will never forget this as long as I live. I will never forget this. When the United States of America's flag touched the turf of that stadium, I saw 65,000 sober people go absolutely crazy. And I looked around myself. I did not see one dry eye in that football stadium. I saw those old-timers sitting around, all the new people and all the people in between. And they all seemed to be loving this thing so very, very much. And I remember thinking to myself, what is wrong with me? Why can't I feel what these people are feeling? I, too, wanted to love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I just could not seem to achieve it somehow. And for the first time in my life, I got tears in my eyes. I did not try and stop. And for the first time, with any amount of sincerity, any amount of sincerity whatsoever, I said, God, thank you for getting me here. Please help me to stay here. Please help me love this program as much as these people do. And I will tell you guys, in a foreign country, in a foreign land, I came to believe in a power greater than myself by watching and being with the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I really believe the old adage that we seem ready to see, we hear them ready to hear, and not before. I also believe that actions my sponsor gave me got me to that point. It's like, do it till you believe it. Just take the 
reaction to something that's going to happen for you someday. But, you know, for one solid second, my world stopped. And I remember that woman who was standing on Skid Row in Lincoln, Nebraska, who literally could not quit drinking, you guys, who literally could not. And there she was two and a half years sober. You know, I personally believe that Alcoholics Anonymous is divinely inspired. I know that that book's divinely inspired. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But, you know, how could anybody hang around as long as I have and not believe that and stuff? And I talk to that God every day sincerely since because my sponsor has taught me. I get a daily reprieve, and that's all that I get. You guys, I have a fabulous job at UCLA. I've been there for many, many years, and I'm on two of the transplant teams, the heart and liver transplant teams. And, and I want to tell you a story that happened to me, and it shows me one more time why sponsorship is so important to me in Alcoholics Anonymous and why it's so important that I do what's in front of me to be done, what God gives me to do. You know, early on I asked Clancy, I said, what is God's will? He said, how the hell am I supposed to know? I'm not God. He said, I have to believe that I'm not lying, stealing, cheating. I'm doing what's in front of me to do, that I'm just suiting up and showing up for life, doing what's on my plate. That has to be God's will for me. He said, I don't think God wants me to drink. I don't think God wants you to drink. And that's about as much as I know. He said, but you know, he said, it doesn't make any difference. Do what God gives you to do. Like, answer your phone just for starters. You guys, when I when I got sober, I didn't have a telephone. It took me a long time to get a phone in Alcoholics Anonymous. By the time I got one, I sure didn't want to answer it. It was bill collectors. And, but, but by answering that telephone, I'm $86,000 out of debt in Alcoholics Anonymous. So there you have it, you know. But anyway, I've been taught to pick up that telephone under all conditions. If I'm home, I do not scream my phone calls, I pick up the damn telephone. So anyway, about, about 14 years ago, we had a terrible nursing crisis in Southern California, and we were working our butts off, let me tell you. I'd work 72 hours this one particular week, and you were like, we're too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I was a bitch is what I was. But anyway, <laughs> we did most of our transplants at night over there and stuff, so I worked the night shift for many, many years. But, you know, I, I had this one night off. I went home and I went to, to bed early. I went to meet early in the evening. I went home and I was just whipped, you guys. And, and the phone rang about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, I'm not answering that damn phone. It's my boss want me to come to work. Or it's somebody I sponsor wanted to whine about something. I'm not picking up the phone. Well, you guys have taught me well. My head told me, pick up the phone. Somebody's in trouble. And I'm so glad I did. You guys, the most precious thing happened. And this just shows you the value of answering the damn telephone. But sure enough, it was my boss. And she said, I've got 18 people sick over here tonight. We do a liver transplant. little girl that's about three years old. I have nobody to do it. Now get over here and help me. I don't want to hear it. I know you work 72 hours. I can't help it. I have nobody to do it. You know, I don't want to hear it. Just get over here to work. And she hung up on me. Well, I was going to call my sponsor, but I don't want to talk to him about nothing at 2 o'clock in the morning. I know what he told me. Nobody ever died from lack of sleep, Karen. I said, well, there's a first time for everything, Clancy. You know, I, I just went to work, and I'm so glad I did. You guys, the most precious thing happened. And I got over there, and we had a, I sent my orderly upstairs to bring our little patient down to surgery, and he brought her down. We had a jet come from New York to deliver this child, so we had some time to kill and stuff. So he called me in the back, and he said, come out front and get your patient. I thought, okay. And he says, you're not going to believe all the people this family. And I thought, well, that's nice that they had the support. I was so crabby, you guys. And, and I went out front to get my little patient. And sure enough, there's like 75, 80 people with this family. I thought, how highly unusual at 4 o'clock in the morning. How highly unusual any time is one of the truth. And the next thing I noticed was the mother. She had the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen before in my life. And I looked down at my little patient. And i got to tell you guys that Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to love at a level I never, ever, ever dreamt possible myself. And I ever so gently looked in that little girl's eyes. And the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen before in my life. And, and she's so sick. She was her head off the pillow. She was so sick. And in her little arms, she had a bear. And she had a blanket wrapped around that bear, hanging on him for dear life. And I'd been over and I talked to her. And I said, oh, you brought your little baby bear down to surgery. And tried to tell me your little bear was going to have a liver transplant. And I said, oh, you're both going to have one. And she said, no, no, just the bear, you know. But anyway, 
we sent the family out to the waiting room, and I remember thinking to myself, and you didn't want to be here, you selfish person. And I thought, I'm going to be the best nurse I've ever been before in my life tonight. And by God, I was too. But, you know, we sent the family out to the waiting room, all those people out to the waiting room. And that mom was in absolute hysterics, i got to tell you guys. And, and this baby looked at me, and she said, why is my mommy crying? Go tell my mommy not to cry. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous, what I've learned in this program, I was able to tell that little girl the truth. And I said, your mommy's crying because your mommy loves you so very, very much, and she's worried about you. And, and that seemed to settle her down a little bit and stuff. And, you know, we have an anesthesiologist at UCLA that loves to play with the kids. He is just a delight to work with. So when she got her IV started, the bear got an IV started. And, and, and his bag said bear, and she, she thought that was real funny and stuff. And when she went to bear, went to sleep, the bear went to sleep. And it was really quite painless working on the truth. But I must tell you guys that Snarrow transplant did not go well. We almost lost that baby a couple times due to blood loss. I have never seen a team of people pull together like we did that child that night. And 16 hours later, she went up to her room with not much hope at all, i got to tell you guys. Well, we said some prayers on that when that kid had lost a lot of blood and stuff. And, and I became obsessed with this baby. And I had to see her again. And we have a rule at UCLA. You may not get involved with these transplant patients. One of the organs come from, we cannot tell them. It's best not to see them after surgery. Now, I tell anybody in this room tonight that I'm real good at breaking rules. And I thought, I'm just going to go up and see what she's doing. I'm not going to talk to anybody. And so when she was six days post-op in that transplant, um, that, uh, that baby's room, and I opened the door to that child's room, and I could not believe it was in front of my face. My God, the power of God, the power of God. Here was this little baby girl. It was the first time she met this surgery. She was jumping up and down her crib. She had diapers hanging around her knees. She had a baby bottle in one hand, and she had that bear in the other arm, and she put band-aids all over this bear. He had band-aids on his eyes, his ears, his nose, and I mean everywhere. And that whole room full of people were in there. And I just stood in that hall, and I just cried like a baby. It is not cool to see the nursing staff on. And something caught my eye out of the corner of my eye. And I'll be damned if our book wasn't sitting on the kid's dresser. And I was in that room like a flash. I didn't care if I got fired. And I asked the mom, I said, whose book is that? And she said, well, that's my book. I remember about Anonymous. So is my husband. Her sponsor was there. His sponsor was there. And those 80 people driven 500 miles to be with his family. They were not from the L.A. area. And they showed me one more time what this thing is all about. It's about love and service, and that's all it's about. And I was impressed, let me tell you. And, and I asked the mom, I said, how long have you been sober? And she said, five years today. I thought, oh, my God, your baby up for the first time. What a fabulous birthday present and stuff. And I walked up to this little girl, and she stopped dead in her tracks, and she looked at me, and she said, go away, I'm not sick anymore. And I, I, I had my scrub clothes on, and it scared the hell out of what I did, and I, I said, I didn't come up here to hurt you. I came up here to see how you're doing. And you guys, she gave me her little bear, and she said, you take him home and take care of him. He's so sick, and he's a nurse to take care of him. I know why she gave me the bear to get me the hell away from her, but I told the mom, I said, I cannot take that baby's bear home. My God, this bear went through this baby's liver transplant. We had it by her little head in a plastic bag her entire surgery, and she says, Karen, please take it. She wants you to have it. She's got 50 bears in this room, and she did indeed have 50 bears in that room, and I felt like a fool walking down the hall with that bear. But that bear became my most prized possession from back like Islamists for many, many years. They got to be too damned important to me. It gets to be too important. we got to get rid of it, folks. And my little granddaughter says to me, Grandma, can I have that bear? And I said, it's Grandma's bear, Brandy. And, and she says, uh, <laughs> but she knows the whole story. And she says, Grandma, please let I said, Brandy, Grandma will buy you a thousand bears. It's my bear. And she said, but I don't want a thousand bears. I want that bear. And I said, it's Grandma's bear. I believe I said that to my grandbaby. It got to me. I talked to my sponsor. About. You and my sponsor tell me, give her that damn bear right this minute. You are the most selfish person I've ever met in my life. Give her that damn bear. You got the memory. You got to give it away to keep it. Give her the damn bear. And I thought, that's it. I'm getting a different sponsor. That is the last damn straw. I obviously had not done that. But anyway. 
you know, uh, you know, in that hospital room. And, you know, I just visited my bear in Lincoln, Nebraska, not too long ago. And, and uh, Brandy's now 22 years old. She has her own family and stuff. And she's taking very good care of my bear and stuff. But in that hospital room, I thought to myself, I need to reciprocate here. I obviously was not prepared for a birthday party. And I remember something that was in my pocket that my sponsor gave me when I was five years sober. I was nine years way too late doing this, let me tell you. I couldn't seem to find the woman that was special enough, in my opinion, to give my five-year medallion to for my sponsor. And I knew I'd found her, let me tell you. It's a, the reason that's in my pocket tonight, worth there's narcotic keys next to that medallion. I don't tell anybody in this room tonight, when I open that cupboard, sometimes my eyes look like firecrackers. I can grab that and remember where I'm coming from here. But anyway, you know, I gave her my medallion. She says, Karen, she says, Karen, I can't take that. My God, Clancy gave you that. And I said, no, I want you to have it. And I really, really meant that. That's what you eventually do for me around here and stuff. And the nurses got wind of all this. We got a cake for the mother. We celebrated her five years of sobriety. I got my sponsor on the telephone. Within about three hours, we had about 50 cars in front of UCLA. And I cannot begin to tell you how proud I was to take those people to my home group in Alcoholics Anonymous at the Pacific Group. Been no more contact with them. It's got to be that way for many, many reason, reasons. But I know that little girl is doing very, very well and stuff. And, you know, the point I'm trying to make here, I could have missed the whole damn thing. How many times in my life have I missed stuff because I wouldn't take a simple action like picking up the damn phone? That would make me crazy if I think about it long enough. But, you know, people say to me all the time, why do you keep doing it, Karen? Why do you keep doing it? And I know of no greater thing to say to them than where our 12th tradition says long form. So that this to the end, that my great blessings may never spoil me, I may forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. And there's more reasons than that for me. You're the ones that walk me when nobody else would walk with me. You held my hand when nobody else would hold my hand. And you told me that you loved me. And I need you as desperate as I need you in 1982. You've taught me how to live. You've taught me how to love. You've taught me how to keep my pants up and all those things. And, and I don't do any of those things very well. But I'll tell you the one thing that I do with 200% absolute perfection, that is this, that I love this program more than anything in the whole world. And it's truly a story from an alcoholic hell I cannot even describe. I have truly been given, just like the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says, I have truly been given the keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to say one more thing here, and I'm going to shut my mouth here right on time. It has been one hell of a long walk from Skid Row in Nebraska to where I stand in Portland, Oregon tonight. And I think that but for the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous that I would have missed it all. Thank you for having me, and thank you so much for my life. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.